It's the Dear Auntie Podcast with your favorite aunties, Carm and Co. Talk to me. What's going on with you? You need advice and they've got the answers. Auntie gonna keep it real. Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. Hey, Auntie. You're tuned in to the Dear Auntie Podcast. Podcast. It's your favorite aunties. I'm Co. And I'm Carm. And we are here to give you some non-expert advice mm-hmm. based on our lived experiences. That's things right. that we have learned, things that we have made mistakes with, uh, ways that we have wasted our damn time, lost some money. Lost our money. Stressed ourselves out in an effort to save you from stressing yourself out, too. So, speaking of stress, how are you feeling today, Carmen? Scale of 1 to 10. It's been a minute. Okay. I am at... I'm going to stay at a... Last time I was a 9, right? You were So, I'm going to say... I can't go down too far, so I'm going to say an 8. Well, no. What's the truth? What do you mean I can't go down too far? (laughs) What do you you want from me? Are you today? I'm an 8. Okay. She said, I'm standing on it. Truthfully, I'm probably more like a 5. See? I felt it. However. But she wants to move on. So she's an 8. Yeah. She's an 8 wrapped up in in 5 spirit. What about you? I am a... I think 8 is just so safe, so I'm going to go with 8. Because I'm, you know, it's a good day. You're not allowed to do 8 next time. I'm not? Okay. So just a next five. time it's gonna be a ten. Congratulations on your eight. Ten spirits next time. Okay. Um. So, uh, what's the dealio? You want to get into some auntie tea? I want to get into this tea because I don't know what this first one is, and I'm curious. Because we're not even going to the auntie over it because we have so much tea time. Today. We do. We have a lot. All right. So Kirk Franklin documentary. Mm-hmm. It came out on YouTube. I watched it over the weekend. I cried on my couch. My husband was looking at me like like I was a crazy person. But it is what it is. Um, It was about him finding his father, finally, in the year 2023 of our Lord and Savior. Wait, the documentary is about him finding him in 2023? Yeah, it's called Father's Day. And he found his dad this year. And the whole time, his mama has been lying to him and gaslighting him, saying that another man was his daddy that he buried. Okay. Can you believe that? I cannot believe it, but the but when did they make the document? The ma- the timeline Recently. is confusing to me. It was recent, I is guess. Is it really a documentary or was it like a vlog? No, it was it was a documentary. It was really good. It was on YouTube. Go look at it. Okay. And text me about it. it. Okay. But honestly, I love Kirk Franklin. He can do no wrong. I How did you feel when he had cursed Kirk out his Franklin? son that time? I didn't feel no type of way. You was like, Yeah, you deserve it. I was like, kids be getting cussed out sometimes. They do be getting cussed out sometimes. I was a little shocked. I was a little shocked at how gangster he got. Yeah. Christians curse. They do. And he let that boy have yeah, it. It's okay. just a little Christian curse out. Um, so anyway, go look at it. It was really good. And I wanted to just talk a little bit about like toxic parents because I felt like his mom was really super toxic. Um, she kept denying up until that point that his actual father was his father. I don't think that's as uncommon as... We think. I guess. I guess she didn't really want to be known as like a whore. A whore. Yeah, she doesn't. And one of my guilty pleasures is paternity court. Judge really? your mama. Okay, paternity court is so interesting <laughs> that in 2023, the year of our Lord, yes. that these people with technology, with thinking brains inside of their heads, are still. Having children mm. and then having laundry lists of men that it could possibly be. It happens. Oh, yeah. Human nature. I a guess. lot of the cases that come into the court are older people. So 35-year-olds that oh. brings their mother to the court with the man who the mama said was the daddy. 
Because they're like, mama, you lying. Now, now let me find out the truth. And the mamas be lying. Now, auntie. To the grave, these mamas will lie. Y'all gotta do better. You gotta do better. Gotta do better. So anyway. No, not anyway. Because you're putting your shame against your child. You're putting your shame above that. Agree. Yes, I'm sorry. Now Agreed. you can move on. The children are the most important they should be. thing in the equation. They should be. So, shout out to Kirk Franklin. Glad you found your dad. Hope things work out. Was he mad at his mom? He was pissed. He was like, he and I was very proud of him for drawing a boundary with her. Okay. He said, if you do not come clean right now in this moment, it's definitely going to impact our relationship and it's going to be no more. And then she started crying and started getting manipulative and Toxic stuff. I'm going to have to go watch it. Um, speaking of finding things out, and actually there's no good segue for this. Tyler Perry. Um, he's giving advice to black women about who they should be dating and how they should be dating and how much money the people should be making. Mm-hmm. And he has people in a tizzy. Mm-hmm. So basically he was doing an interview and he was suggest- suggesting that black women should kind of lower our expectations and our standards when it comes to what men make um, mm-hmm. in the household, what, what kind of bacon they're bringing home. And he got a lot of flack for it. I'll say this. I understood what he was saying. And what do you, what do you, What's your interpretation? You don't no, I don't know. What's your interpretation? So he basically said that because black women in America make a lot more, than black men statistically. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that statistic is true, but I think it is. Um, that eventually some of us are gonna have to come up short. <laughs> you and you're gonna what have what to be mean? okay with coming up if short. If you want to date within your race, some of us are gonna come up short. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, if the man is a good man, if he loves you, if he cares for you, and he can contribute, and you you both are, agree that he's gonna contribute to the light bill or contribute to the groceries or whatever, and if you're okay with that, then you should be okay with that and not care what other people have to say. Well, who's he giving that advice to if he's talking to people who, if you're already okay with that, you don't have to give me that Well, advice. he's saying that- You should be okay with that? He's he's giving us some advice and saying if you're looking for a man and you're basing your standards on the fact of whether or not he makes 500000 a year, a million dollars a year, two fifty k a year, then maybe you should drop that, drop that bar a little. What are your thoughts? So, um- I'm always on the fence with so many of these topics because half of my thought is the math ain't mathin'. And if we are being logical, mm-hmm. thinking people, and we know the number of black men that are incarcerated and all these statistics, like if we know those statistics to be true and you do want a black man, then maybe you have to lessen be your realistic. requirements. Be realistic. Okay. Not drop your standards, but be realistic. Be willing to compromise on some things if you feel like you can. However, the other side, I don't necessarily think telling black women you should be willing to accept. And that's what the girls are saying. They're saying, why do black women consistently have to get the narrative about what they should be doing and the bars that they should be lowering and that black women essentially deserve... Instead of him saying, black men, we need to rise to the occasion. We need to get a trade. We need to develop more skills. We need to do whatever we need to do to make sure we're taking care of our households. I think that that message, I don't ever hear anybody saying that. I never hear that. I've never they heard. Always it. talking to us. I'm like, talk to, talk to your compadre. Yeah, holla at talk your to boy. them. So yeah. Anywho, um, delicious. You remember delicious from Flavor of Love? How could anybody ever forget delicious? Yeah, 
Yeah, she the was like original. Yeah. Um, and then Sukiyana. We talk about her often here on the show. I want to try to pull up the screenshot that I have if I can oh, find no, it. Please, no screenshot. Um, but essentially, I don't know if you saw Sukiyana on all fours at the VMAs, right? Kind of on the red carpet. And she got a lot of flack about that. And Delicious commented on the post. She said, too many outdoor shoes have been on that carpet, Buttercup. Sukiana responded, well, girl, you was with Flavor Love. You ain't scared of nothing. Or Flavor Flav, you ain't scared of nothing. Okay, so Delicious responds, and she apologizes. She says basically that Sukiana's a queen, and she never wants to be the face of two women, two black women coming against each other. Um, and then she that she didn't want to insult her. But my question is this. Does supporting women and su- empowering women, does that mean supporting foolery when we see it? Does that mean that in order to support other women, we have to be yes women yes. to other women and mm-hmm. say that because she's a woman... She can do no wrong. She can do no wrong. I can't hold her accountable. I can't say that that's unacceptable because if I say opposite, then I'm a woman hater. Judging her. I'm not empowering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that where we are with it? Yes. Okay. That that is actually where we are. That if you say, it's probably not a good idea for you to be down there on the floor. You should mind your business because you're a hating ass bitch. And you, you know, like, that's what it is. <laughs> you're it's, old. You're old. Yeah. You, got, you know, like, it, there's never, we can't offer any constructive criticism. We can't um, try to, um, you know, the whole village mindset of, like, I can correct your child. I see your child doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. I correct yeah. your child yeah. and send him on his way. That's going to make our community better. These days, it's, you don't tell my baby what to do. Even yeah. if your child is doing something totally wrong. So, yeah, no, we can't correct. There's no correction in the black community. And I thought Delicious, being somebody who's older, even though Delicious, she ha- she does some questionable things from time to time, but um, I thought that was a good auntie comment that's like, hey, girl, get up off the But floor. I think we talked about this before when, I think, Monique with the bonnets. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that she was being judgmental. I thought that she was offering some advice. Yeah, some like, wisdom. hey, if they and, see you. And what did the people do? Who you think you're talking to? How yeah. you gonna tell? Yeah. It, there's, you we ain't can't my, take correction. You ain't my mama. You yeah, my we auntie. can't take correction. So anyway, um, that's our tea time, but we have a very special episode today, and it's a it's so special. It's a part two, because we had a part one before, and it did really well, but we got lots of questions, mm-hmm. and so we brought in an expert because we are not experts. We keep telling y'all that. We're just giving you advice based on our experience. Our experience. So we have a PhD in life. Yes. But not in other things, not in, right? Not in real life, though. So um, today we have a guest. A very special guest. Her name is Dr. Renita White. How are you? Hello, hello. Oh, I'm doing great today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here and welcome to the Dear Auntie podcast. So today we are talking momming after 35, which is a hot topic. As I like to call it, geriatric pregnancy. Nobody likes that term, but it is what it is. Um, I'm not a mother, But on the last episode where we talked about motherhood, I shared my fears. I expressed my hesitation and my anxiety around um, becoming a mom, especially at such a late age. But Ko, to my right, Auntie Ko, 
she done popped out two of them. At a, such a late age. And, and, <laughs> you know what I mean? So she's doing well. She's rocking out motherhood. So I first want to direct my first question to you, Co. What would you say? Let's start on the positive end. Okay. What would you say is the best thing about motherhood? Being an old-ass mom or just moms, period? In general. Let's just start with a general response. I think that this is the greatest opportunity mm-hmm. to really test what I'm made of. Ooh. I think the responsi- being responsible for someone's childhood is, like, literally the greatest response. It's serious business. So I feel... When I got pregnant the second time, the first time, it was a shit show. But when I got <laughs> pregnant the second time, I was not as shocked and cr- I mean I was shocked but I wasn't as traumatized as the first time the second time I felt like God trusted me mm-hmm. like wow this wasn't it wasn't just a fluke that yeah. I had that first baby you really want me to raise to another one yeah so that's how that that responsibility I think even though that's probably the bad side of it too I think that that is a gift so you feel honored you feel I like feel the honored gift. yes okay now, what would you say? Now, let's get serious and let's get real. Okay. What would you say is the hardest, the most challenging part of being a mother, especially a mother at oh, your age? Mom. Yeah. Yeah. I had lived 34 full years of life mm-hmm. before becoming a mom. And that life ended the day I became a mom. So my son was born and that old me died. That I was never expecting. Mm-hmm. I don't know that even if I was expecting it, could I have been prepared for it? I don't think so. But the losing of yourself, I think we talk about losing yourself in relation to marriage a lot, but we never really talk about losing yourself in relation to motherhood. And because of that, I think a lot of women think the finish line is the delivery room. Like I have the baby, then I just get to go back to live in my life. Thing. I'm gonna just have a baby on my hip. Yeah. And that was not it. So that was. They I make it look the, cool on Instagram. It's not cool. Yeah, it's not, but they're not showing. We'll get into it. So let's talk about geriatric pregnancy. Mm-hmm. It's defined as becoming a mother at 35 and older. It's now becoming more common than ever before yeah. in this day and age. So let's talk about the challenges of becoming a mother uh, at 35 and up. What are you seeing in your office? And first, tell us who you are and what you do so people yeah. can know that they're talking to a professional here. Yeah, so I'm Dr. Renita White, board-certified OBGYN in the Atlanta area. I see women of all ages for their care, so for obstetrics and gynecology. But I'm telling you, when it comes to pregnancy, just like everything in life, things are delayed. So mm-hmm. you're seeing more and more women who are having their babies for the first time in their 30s. I'm one of them. I have two kids. My first pregnancy was like when I was 31 or something like that. Mm-hmm. You're seeing people who are having children in their early 40s. And with that, you're seeing more risk to pregnancy because you're older, you have more things happening. So when you think about geriatric pregnancy, which I will say, it's like such an old, outdated term. We do not use that term in medicine. That on my on my file so fast. It's old, they gave we her a cane when okay. she gave birth. We call it advanced <laughs> maternal age. Mm-hmm. Okay. But 35 was randomly picked. It's based on the fact that it's between 30 and 40. And when they were doing studies about infertility and risk of Down syndrome and all this stuff, it was like a middle point. So that's where we land on that number. But it's not that like some you wake up one day and everything's changed because you're 35. <laughs> but there are things to consider. So if I have somebody who's walking through my door, they are pregnant at 35 or going to be 35, mm-hmm. we want to consider a couple other things. Like you are more likely to develop 
health conditions like high blood pressure, diabetes as you get older. So you might first see that in a pregnancy and that risk can begin in the pregnancy. So you might look for a couple other things. You're born with all the eggs you're ever going to have. So if you're 35 trying to get pregnant, you're at higher risk of miscarriage than if you're 25. So you just look at it at that context. But you really are seeing more and more pregnancies, and you really start to treat pregnancies different and how you manage and monitor closer to 40, like 39 or 40. So with all of the scary statistics out there, I mean, I have heard more times than I care to recall that, you know, by the time you turn 30 or 35, you got one egg left. Just like all of the mm-hmm. the things that we're constantly hearing what are some some solutions? Like, what are some things that we could do to prepare or to prevent, you know, some of yes. those things? I love this. So not a lot of people know about preconception appointments, but mm-hmm. that is basically an appointment where you can talk about preparing for pregnancy. You could be trying to get pregnant. I did not know about okay. that. Yes. So you could be trying to get pregnant tomorrow, or maybe you're like, three years from now, I want to have a baby. People often come to me and will say, can I even get pregnant? Like I've, it just never has happened. And that's the beginning of those kind of conversations. But you can make this appointment where you're basically optimizing your health before pregnancy. So if a lot of people don't go to the doctor when they're younger because they're healthy and they go when there's an issue, but certain things like high blood pressure, diabetes, you don't really have symptoms until it gets bad. So at appointments like this, you can start checking to see what's going on. If you're trying to lose weight, The time is not to start when you're pregnant, but before, and then figure out what your risk factors are before the pregnancy starts. So that's something I recommend for everybody to kind of get a sense of what's going on with me, even with infertility. Like you may not know, can I get pregnant? You may have thought my periods are irregular. I just get bleeding whenever. That's my normal. But that could be a sign that you might have trouble getting pregnant. Hmm. So I definitely recommend those kind of appointments with your OBGYN. Awesome. So talking about things that we can do to prepare for pregnancy, what are some things that women can eat? Are there any supplements that they can take? What does that look like? Yes. So if you are hoping to be pregnant one day, maybe not pregnant right now, making sure that overall your diet is generally healthy. You don't have to specifically be on something like a Mediterranean diet or mm. gluten-free or whatever. But the more that you can avoid things that are high in inflammation are probably going to be better for your ovary health, your uterine health. Mm. So making sure you've got green leafy vegetables and fruits and good moderation in that diet. You want to avoid anything that can be high in toxins. So if you love weed, if you smoke cigarettes, if you drink a lot, probably to have moderation or kind of cut back as you're getting closer to trying to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And again, things with weight, it's a tough t- thing to talk about, even for, as a provider to like yeah. bring it up to patients. But the you're going to gain weight in pregnancy and with weight can come certain risks. So if you want to lose weight at any point in your life, thinking about that in advance with regular exercise and dietary changes that you can continue in the pregnancy. Sounds good. So let's talk about IVF because we know that that's an option that a lot of women are looking at as we get older. So um, what are the limitations around that? What are the costs associated? What is the what is the process like? Yeah, so it's expensive. <laughs> I mean, I wish I could say it was not, but it is. And hopefully things will change with time. But that can be a barrier to possibly doing it, but not to getting the information. Mm-hmm. So When you're thinking about what you want for your life, thinking about if you want kids, if you would be happy if you never had kids, and how many kids you have can be useful to figure out if you want to freeze your eggs, for example. 
that when you freeze your eggs that you can only use them with IVF, mm. but that may be cost effective for you if you plan in advance, if you know that it's really important for you to have three kids and 10 years from now when you're ready for the third, it might be an issue, you can figure that out. And there's lots of financial opportunities for payment plans and some companies that will help. So with IVF, it involves getting pregnant by bypassing your fallopian tubes and you basically take the egg out of your body, take the sperm out of your partner's body, combine it and put it back into your body. Lots of science. Wow. Listen. <laughs> but it is interesting. I know. It involves shots and medicines and lots of observations, but it's something that is available to anybody limited by cost. So I always say if you are nervous about if you could afford it, if you don't think it's for you, and even if you don't want to do anything like that, if you're ever in a spot where you might need it, like you've been trying for a long time to get pregnant, maybe you've been told your fallopian tubes don't work, just get the information. Mm. What I didn't realize is that surrogacy is a similar process to IVF. Really? Because what I thought, you know, I, I wanted to experience childbirth. Mm-hmm. But I want a whole lot of kids. So I'm like, you know, I could just have one. Yeah, pass it on over to somebody. A lady had to have me about five more until I realized you got to do all those shots and needles. Yeah. I did not know that. Because it's basically, well, there's a difference between surrogacy and gestational carriers. So a surrogate is truly the person who's holding your baby. Mm -hmm. Um, So you, you may use their eggs and your partner's sperm, and then they can carry the pregnancy that way. But a gestational carrier may not have any biological identity to the baby because they take your eggs and then your partner's sperm and combine it that way. (laughs) But regardless, somebody's going to have to do something of some kind of shots or treatment to recruit the eggs to do that. Got you. Is it as expensive as IVF? It's more because you have to pay for the person person who's carrying the pregnancy. Wow. Got you. Oh, my goodness. Everything is so expensive. Um, So we have some feedback from a listener. I just wanted to read her um, quote. She says, I'm a new mama. I had my first baby at age 35 and my second at age 36. I always considered waiting to have babies the best route to go, more financially stable, settled down with a loving and responsible partner. But what I never considered is the toll it would take on my body in my mid-30s. So when we talk about... Um, the toll that pregnancy takes on our bodies as we get older. What does that look like? Is it different from for older ladies? It can be. I mean, you you hear, I'm not as young as I used to be. I can't bend it low. I can't do this and do that. My manganese are not I'm oiled. You know, but pregnancy, it takes a toll. And you hear, just the way our society is, you hear the great or the bad. You mm-hmm. hear, I got pregnant so easy and it was beautiful. Or you hear, I was miserable and I had infertility yeah. and I was vomiting. But there are all these random things in between you may not hear about, like daily types of pain that can be your normal until you deliver. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. if you experience sudden like skin changes where you're itching all the time. Imagine like feeling like you're in an ant pile and your normal is to itch. That sounds all day horrible. Long. So if you were a collegiate athlete and you your whole life did this sport, now you're in your mid-30s, early 40s, maybe you got a little bit of arthritis or pain from that, and you're now carrying a pregnancy, that's something that's different than somebody who's early 20s. Yeah. And that may not be the case for everybody, but your body has lived a longer life, so you may feel it a little differently, which is something you hear sometimes when people are like on their second and third pregnancy. So I have a question that's not on this list. Yeah, no, go for I, it. I have a question that I have never heard asked before, and I don't know if you have the answer, so no pressure if you don't. But we always 
assume that it's the woman. If I can't get pregnant, I'm assuming that it's me. I'm assuming that I'm the one that has some type of issue. I'm going to run to the doctor. When the man thinks it's him, I don't know that you're the doctor that he comes to, but what are some of the um, issues that men could be bringing to these situations that we're not aware of? So I tell people all the time, based on general data, probably about 30% of the time is it male factor, something going on with the sperm or something like that. So when somebody's having a hard time getting pregnant, I would expect both partners to come through the door. It's not just the woman coming in. So you can figure out what's going on. And that evaluation usually includes more for the woman. Maybe they have more blood tests and stuff like that. But for male evaluation, there's something called a semen analysis where they give a sample. They're looking at the number of sperm, concentration, movement, and things like that. There are sometimes when somebody has a medical condition like really uncontrolled diabetes, that may impact how the sperm moves and stuff like that. So you may start with your general OBGYN. You may see a reproductive specialist. They may see a urologist. But somewhere along the line, both people should be together, start this evaluation, and figure out how to get pregnant because it does take two. Wow. Um, That's a lot of information, but it's good information. So I hope you're at home taking notes while you're listening. Drop your comments down below. So I want to skip ahead a little bit. We have so many questions. I'm trying to get to the ones that I think are really, really good. Um, And I think I'll save that for our dear auntie. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share another comment from a listener. Um, Her name is Shea Bennett. She says, at 30-something, I lived all of my adulthood only having to take care of myself. I could spend all of my money on me even if it was irresponsibly. And that meant eating PB&J for the next two weeks until my next payday paycheck hit direct deposit. That also meant sleeping in when I felt like it and doing anything all the time as I felt like it. In hindsight, I don't think a woman in her young 20s has the same self-separation anxiety. I mean, a young 20-year-old is still figuring themselves out and doing And so doing this as a new parent is almost a part of the same growing pains. It is a huge adjustment becoming a mother, but even huger becoming one, um, being so set in your single ways. So I think that's a good point. Just the whole life change that you said, Coriel, just essentially just having to change, completely change directions. Mm -hmm. And she also says, also spraining, think, think of it like this, spraining your ankle at 23 is not the same as spraining your ankle at 35. Just saying. She says, so I think the same applies to the womb and just body overall. Mm -hmm. And she says, I still haven't fully recovered. I was in pretty good shape prior and active daily. And then she also goes on. I think this is a good point. This is really long, but I want to get to the point where she's talking about leaving her child um, she she says that she couldn't do it, so she actually quit her job when it was time for her to go back to work. So she decided to just become a, a stay-at-home mom because of the separation anxiety. We talked about that, the lack of resources. Yeah. The United States is the only yes. country, developed country, at the bottom of the list with zero federally let me, mandated. Let me tell you, I went to this conference called the Momference earlier this year. Mm, nice. How was it? it? Was it fun? It I've heard about good. it. Good. I spoke at it. It was amazing. I cannot wait to go next year. But... <laughs> At the conference, we talked about this term called matrescence. And it is, I love this term, and I have to look it up to like see where it came from and what it's about. But if you think about it, when you are going from childhood through adolescence, you have adolescence. You have going mm-hmm. through adulthood. There are these transitions in your life where you are going from one phase to the next. But for some reason, when you think about entering motherhood, it's like 
everyone's focused on the pregnancy journey, then the baby comes, everyone's starting to thinking about the baby and no one's thinking about the journey into motherhood. And that's where the term matrescence mm -hmm. comes from. And so people often grieve what their old life was like without accepting or realizing that it's supposed to look different. Like maybe that person's journey is to be a stay-at-home mom and to have different routines. And we're not really set up in the society to help people go through that stage. The transition mm -hmm. is very hard, I can imagine. Um, Cole, this question is for you. Okay. Because somebody asked this, what do you do when you're just tired as a mom? What do you do? Like, where do you get your strength? Well, the doctor just said, do not do weed, do not do drugs and alcohol. <laughs> so I can't say is that. Is that off the table? <laughs> That's off the table. Okay. I, you know, being a mom is one of those jobs that you don't clock out from. Right. It does not matter if you don't physically feel good. Your children have to get out of the bed. They have to eat. They have to be changed. They have to be cared for. And I do not have a word of encouragement or a, I have nothing except I do what I have to do. Yeah. You know, there have been days where I've been hungover. <laughs> that part. And I just think to myself, I'm so glad I'm not having a baby. <laughs> That is very Listen, real. you get creative, okay? I joke about this all the time. Like, I have a crazy call schedule. There are times I'm out for 24 hours working, I come home, and then my other job is a mom begins. And somehow my husband disappears. <laughs> but, because he's like, oh, great, she's home. And you just get creative. Like, yeah. one day I told my kids, I was like, okay, y'all just draw a picture, your best portrait of mommy. And I just took a nap on the couch. That and they just were busily So funny. Drawing. You gotta do what you gotta do. I love that. You got to do what you got to do. So we're going to get into our dear auntie because we have a couple of questions from listeners. But I want to first play this recording from a new mom. And she had her first baby at 36 unexpectedly. She was told she could not move forward with childbirth. And so um, this is her experience. Motherhood over 35 is a lesson in relinquish relinquishing control. You've gone 35 years, about 15 of which have been you living your best and most full adult life. And then this little person comes along and they alter everything. And that's the part that's kind of hard to get used to. Over 35, you've lived this full, amazing life. And it's about to get more amazing, but it's hard to see the other side and see that your grass is just as green when you've gone 35 years with no little one. So my <laughs> advice to new moms over 35 is you got to relinquish control. Every day has a beautiful new beginning to loving this new little bundle of joy who is only there to make your life better. Thank you. And that's Shayla out of Richmond, Virginia. Virginia, Thank you for sharing your story. We appreciate it. Um, but any thoughts around that, relinquishing control? I think that's sometimes the hardest part for those of us who are having babies over 35. Because you have lived this whole adulthood. Maybe it's a career you've been working towards or you've been out of your parents' home for such a long time. Mm -hmm. And then you're ready to start this new life. And it may not be. It will not be exactly what you think it is, which may start in the pregnancy. Yeah. It may start when you're trying to get pregnant. So realizing that it's going to look different than you thought it was. And just when you think it's going to go one way, it's going to go the other. Go the other way. I saw somebody um, posted on Instagram. Like, I never knew that 
I just I got out of my parents' house from having to ask them permission, you know, mm-hmm. to do things. And then I have kids and I gotta ask my parents permission to do things again. Right. Like, damn, the cycle of life. This is this is really crazy. The cycle of life, honey. All right, so let's get into some dear auntie because finally we have an expert in the building who can actually answer your questions from a professional standpoint. Um, so we're excited about that. So So, dear fellow aunties, I am a new mom, but breastfeeding has been a lot. How do I deal with the shame and guilt of shame? of not being able to continue breastfeeding and switching to formula. Your niece, Felicia. Ooh, this takes me back. I struggled with breastfeeding so hard when I had my firstborn, and I literally was like, am I putting like this pressure on my patients? Because you hear all the time, it's natural, it's the right, right thing to do. Like We push in medicine like, you, we want you to do this because it's so good, but it is okay to not be able to do it. It's okay to not want to do it. It's a learning curve for you. It's a learning curve for the baby. There can be challenges all the, along the way. So I would say do what is best for you and your household, for the baby, and for you personally. Because if it's affecting your mental health when you're already low on sleep and low mm-hmm. on everything, or if it's causing pain when it's not supposed to, just focus on what you and the baby can do and disregard every other person. Yeah. That's good and very relatable. The I don't think that anybody who has never experienced that will understand the shame and the guilt mm-hmm. if you if your supply drops, if you want to to switch to formula just even the thought of, you know, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing for my baby, that is a real thing. And uh-huh. it's a lonely space. Um, to be in when people can't relate. So I love that question. Thank you for asking. I don't know if that was great advice, except, you know, if we really gave you something to make you feel better. But I did see a video from a teacher and she was saying, you know, when I look at my classroom of kids, I can't tell which of these kids were breastfed or who was formula (laughs) fed. Like I can tell whose parents are at home loving them. Mm -hmm. So as long as you are at home loving your kids, that is, that's the best that you can do. That's what you should expect. For sure. All right, next up. Dear fellow aunties, how do I get through the rough early years of being a mom with multiples as a stay-at-home mother? That is Auntie Mona. Ooh, that is very tough to have multiples, so giving yourself grace and utilizing support. Support can come in a number of ways. Your time is little is limited, but look into things like postpartum doulas, night nurses, family members and friends who can support you how you want to be supported. They may come in and say, you need to do this. You need to do that. Nope. You can say, I need you to fold this laundry. I need you to cook (laughs) this meal. But literally surrounding yourself with as much support and similar with the breastfeeding, if you can't do it, don't do it. That's good. I'm definitely going to need that night doula if I decide to give birth. You know, I had one and I couldn't. I couldn't leave my baby in there. Really? I wasted my money. Okay. <laughs> Dear fellow aunties, I have been through two miscarriages and I'm trying to figure and I'm just trying to figure out what to do. How to stay positive and if there are any changes I need to make to my overall health. Natalie. Well, Natalie, I'm so sorry to hear about those miscarriages. I always tell people miscarriages are common. We think like one in three women have them, but it does not take away the pain and the sadness and everything that goes along with it. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, miscarriages are due to some kind of DNA issue. Maybe when sperm and egg met, it wasn't perfect, the body restarted. So definitely not anything that she's doing. But if you've had two miscarriages, I would definitely see your doctor to start doing what we call a recurrent pregnancy loss workup. 
to see, is there something that you could do differently? Sometimes there's not, but they may discover something in your blood or a fibroid or polyp or something that could be the cause that they can figure out what to do. And some of the times it's the men too, right? Sometimes it could be. So there's some testing Post that they do. I'm going to make sure I ask what you Another paternity <laughs> court episode taught me oh, this. Goodness. Sometimes, <laughs> interestingly, it's in the DNA. Part mm -hmm. of the workup is testing your DNA and your partner's mm -hmm. DNA. So check it out. So one of these, we're going we gonna to move on, but one of these cases on paternity court she was dating a man, cheated uh -huh. on him, and got pregnant by the other man. And the way that the that they were basically able to get down to the bottom of it, obviously they did the DNA, but mm -hmm. that man couldn't have kids. Oh. So they're there. She kept having miscarriages yeah. with him, and then she was able to have a full term pregnancy with the other gotcha. guy. Gotcha. Wow. So the body is yes, interesting. Like we're not. We're literally not incompatible. This is science. That is science. This is science. Crazy. Um, gotta check out paternity court. See, I've been learning all kinds of stuff on that. So there's one more question I want to get to, and then we're going to end. I want to do affirmations because someone is asking for affirmations for moms to give them hope and encouragement. So I think we should end on that note. But here's a spicy topic that I want to make sure that we answer: postpartum intimacy. What does that look like? Um, I know it can probably be hard to get back into the swing of things, especially at, you know, 35 and up. So any advice? Does anyone have any advice here on the panel? Yes. So for one, when you're ready, when you're ready, not when he's ready, when you're ready mm -hmm. is the first thing. Secondly, it should not hurt. So when you get back on the horse, maybe it might feel like different at first or slightly uncomfortable to begin with, but you should not have pain. So further explain. So sometimes you will be like, kind of horse it is. I yeah, feel I like was, they I had pain, a lot of pain. Yes. Who will be like, it's just very dry and grating. That can be a sign of the low estrogen levels that come after you've delivered. So using a lubricant might help. Uh -huh. Sometimes people will say, I feel like I'm hitting a wall. What is that? So after you've been pregnant or had a vaginal delivery, but sometimes if you, even if you had a C-section, the pelvic floor are the muscles that hold the uterus in place, the bladder. And the pregnancy just causes those muscles to loosen. Things can shift a little bit. So sometimes what's being hit is maybe something's dropping, like the bladder, some kind of oh, muscle. No. But there are things to do about that. Like mm -hmm. pelvic floor physical therapy is a whole field of physical therapy all about the pelvic floor to help with pain, to help with going to the bathroom all the mm -hmm. time. So if you're having pain of any kind, talk to your doctor. Sometimes being pregnant can affect the nerves and the blood vessel down there. So people can get pain of burning and tingling that they shouldn't have that, again, needs to be addressed. But checking out a pelvic floor physical therapist or your OB can be the answer to that. But don't be in pain because if you are noticing it's not comfortable, you should definitely get it checked out to see why it's not comfortable. Okay. Um, but as long as you've been cleared by your six weeks and mm. if you feel ready for it and want to go for it, do it. Because we was hitting something. My husband was like, we just going to knock it out the way. And keep on. <laughs> I was wondering how long was that supposed to last? Okay. Kegels. Can you do Kegels? So Kegels is part of what helps with pelvic floor physical okay. therapy. But sometimes it can make things worse. Mm. So, for example, really? if somebody is too tight down below and then you are, like your muscles are, you're, tightening up because you're nervous and you do kegels it's not going to help the problem so that's why getting it checked out to see the why is going to be helpful to solve so they the actually work that exercise actually works it can, it can like if you have loose muscles for especially for people who are like going to the bathroom all the time they like sneeze and they leak mm -hmm. urine it will definitely work and so in some countries it's normal to go to a pelvic floor physical therapist after you've had your baby here you usually have to be referred so i try to get everyone in that door we don't have no resources here. We don't know. Any resources that you we can share that we live in the ghetto with that. Some solutions. Are there any resources that maybe a mom 
or mom to be in need maybe needs to be aware of? That yes. So I think that there can be a lot of support groups for people who are going through infertility or miscarriages because sometimes you go through it alone. So they have some natural societies that can help with that. If you postpartum depression is something that can be easily missed and even happen months after you have delivered. So going to your pediatrician or OBGYN are places to kind of first start if you don't know what to go through there. Mm -hmm. And then resources for how to get support like night nurses and doulas, because doulas help in all ways. Like if you have infertility sometimes, if you just need support through your whole pregnancy and delivery process, but also in that lactation kind of field. Mm -hmm. Lactation specialists help with breastfeeding, pain with latching, those kind of areas. If you don't know where to start, start with your OB. And I have a podcast that's all kind of like you guys, Yay. where my sister and I just kind of talk about our own experiences because even though she's in education and I'm in OB, like even going through it, sometimes we're like, where do we get this kind of support? So wherever you like to hear information, if it's word of mouth from friends, if it's online, if it's TikTok and you're not sure if this is real or not, just, you know, ask us. What's your podcast? I was going to say, share. Yes, it's called Cradle and All. And Cradle so it's all and about all. motherhood and pregnancy and everything that happens in that space. We'll definitely link it down out. below. Yeah. Yes. If you have enjoyed this episode, if you've learned something, make sure that you share with a friend. Get subscribed so that you don't miss out on any amazing guests that we are bringing to the show. And if you have some suggestions on guests, on topics, or if yeah. you want to ask an anonymous question, make sure that you send us an email, dearunteepod at gmail.com. Dear Auntie pod on instagram yeah all the places come hang out with the aunties we For appreciate sure. you see you on the next episode and i just did two sets of kegels so <laughs> <laughs> bye <laughs>